Would you look at your neighbor this morning and say, good morning, neighbor. Let them know if it's true. Hey, I'm ready to hear from God today. How about you? Let them know. As long as they answer yes, let them know that's a good thing because the Holy Spirit's about to get all up in our business. Let them know, all right? This is one of those messages that uh, is very direct uh, as the Holy Spirit uh, continues uh, this section here through the Apostle Paul. And uh, we have been looking together at 1 Corinthians, going verse by verse, line by line, and looking at what God had to say to this church and by extension to us and to our church because church matters, amen? And so as we've looked at 1 Corinthians, even just this chapter, what have we seen? We have seen that uh, as Christians, we need to do what? We need to grow up. That, that staying a baby Christian forever is not a good thing. It's not a good thing. We need to grow up and be willing to deal with issues. Why? Because church matters. We need to grow up and be a part of building something for God, Amen. Well, I should say building something with God and for God because we are co-laborers together with Him. Your Christian life matters. And we saw last week that you will give an account for what you build and how you build it with your life. I mentioned last week, I'll say it again this week, there are builders here. And you know what? They will tell you this, that no matter how good it looks... No matter how it's applauded by man, no matter what it appraises for on Zillow, none of that matters until someone with the proper authority says it passes inspection. And what we build with our lives will be inspected by the Lord Jesus on that last day. So we better make sure that we are building the right way. I remind us this morning by way of introduction, when it comes to building our lives, there is only one foundation that gets you to heaven. His name is Jesus. There's no other name. There's no other thing. There's no other association. There's no other deed. Nothing else gets you to heaven. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. Faith in Christ and what he has done for us on the cross of Calvary, his death, burial, and resurrection. As uh, Paul said in verse 11 of chapter 3, other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. The church ain't going to get you to heaven. Baptism ain't going to get you to heaven. Good works isn't going to get you to heaven. Only Jesus can get you to heaven. Only Jesus. And so there's only one foundation to get you to heaven. His name is Jesus. But when it comes to being saved, and we have to understand that the saved will stand before Jesus to give an account of their lives. The Bible pictures it. Not as a criminal court where we get uh, the sentence of guilt and the wrath of God. No, that's the unsaved. But for the saved, rather, it's more like an award ceremony where Jesus, he wants to reward us, recognize us for a life lived for him. But the Bible is clear. There are no participation trophies in heaven. It's not going to happen that way. What you build will be inspected, and if it is to pass inspection, it needs to be built to code. God is not looking at whether or not others approved of your life. God is looking for how you built your life according to his code. And so, as we look here at the end of this chapter, we've seen that our lives will be inspected, But now, Paul is going to transition to, so what does that mean for you and I today? What applications, what adjustments do you and I need to make today to make sure that we are building our lives to code? 
I warn you, the message this morning is direct. But the word of God is direct. And so let us ask the Lord to help us receive all that he has for us today. Look at verse, we're going to start back in verse 14, Liz. Pick up a little bit of context from last week. And then we're going to go into the, the, the verses for today. So here we have the judgment seat of Christ. As we stand before Christ as Christians, the Bible says, If any man's work abide, uh, he, uh, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive reward. But if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. That's from last week. Now look at the continuation this week. Paul then says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Notice first this morning when it comes to building to code that sinful wickedness will rot. Sinful wickedness will rot. There's a seriousness here. Can I summarize verses 16 and 17? When it comes to building to code... You will not go against God and get away with it. You will not go against God and get away with it. You cannot live in sin, especially as a Christian, and be blessed. Sin is a serious choice that always bears serious consequences. James chapter 1, verse 14 and 15 says this, But every man is tempted... When he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, sometimes brings forth mild displeasure. Is that what the Bible says? Sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. Sin is a serious choice that always bears serious consequence. Proverbs 29 in verse number 1 tells us this. He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed. And that without remedy. You cannot choose to live in sin and get away with it. You will not go against God and get away with it. In our day and age, we call it a mistake, we call it a struggle, we call it a stumble, we call it a predisposition. God calls it rebellion. God calls it a fist raised in defiance. Christian in love, might I say today, you can't build with rot and expect to succeed. You cannot build with rot and expect it to stand. You cannot build with rot and expect God's blessing. Sin is always and only rot. It is deadly poison. It is cancer. It is vomit. It is cosmic treason against God. There is a seriousness here. And it's serious because of the significance that is here. Paul says, don't you know that you are the temple of God? If you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit of God lives within you. 
Don't you know, Paul says, you are the temple, the dwelling place of the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God lives within the believer. Hear me, that is not a casual thing. That's not a, oh, cool. It's not a casual thing. Let me ask you this. How many of you remember long ago when Miss Amy was expectant with Mr. Timothy? She was great with child. Let me ask you, what would you have thought if you had walked out after church one day, she's seven, eight months pregnant, and you see her out there leaning against the wall smoking a cigarette? <sighs> what, what, what would you think? Here's, here's this very pregnant lady. She's out there smoking a cigarette. Or she's out there drinking a beer. Or she's out there doing drugs. Or maybe she's out there playing on the church roof. We'll stick with the cigarette for now, all right? So you go over to talk to her, and what does she tell you? Of course she talks about how handsome the preacher is. But after that, what's, what's that conversation like? You go look at her and say, ma'am, what are you doing? What's wrong with you? Don't you know? Don't you know what, 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 what you house within you? Don't you know how precious that life is within you? Don't you know what you're doing? We'd have a problem with that, wouldn't we? And rightfully so. Could I extend the analogy that far more precious than any human life is the Holy Spirit of God, eternal God, living within the Christian and I'm going to tell you, it is not a casual thing that God dwells within you. And just like we would want a, a mother to keep her body clean for a baby, can I tell you, the Holy Spirit of God doesn't want to live in filth. It is not a light thing that the Spirit of God lives within you. There's a significance to that. The Spirit of God dwells within you. You are His temple. He is holy. We see a seriousness here, a significance here, but also a simplicity. Look at verse 17. The Bible says, If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. <laughs> Woo. He's not talking to the unbeliever. He's talking to the believer here. Now, this, this doesn't mean you lose your salvation. The end of verse 15 is very clear. If any man's work uh, be burned, he, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. So what is Paul saying here? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. I'm going to tell you, it's pretty simple. Now, it's interesting the way Paul phrases it. In the Greek, the, word, uh, the Greek word for defile and destroy, it's the same Greek word. And so Paul here is painting a picture. Everywhere else in the Bible that we see this Greek word, it's translated to corrupt or to ruin. So put that word in and see what it says. If you ruin or corrupt the temple of God, God will ruin you. So think about it this way. What is Paul saying? Paul is saying that if you ruin the temple of God, God will ruin you. It's going to happen. You cannot go against God and get away with it. You cannot go against God and succeed. If you build with rot, it will ruin you. I'm going to tell you, people think that because lightning hasn't struck, 
that somehow God's okay with it or somehow God, that they've gotten away with it. That's not the case. Solomon made this, uh, made this uh, statement in Ecclesiastes 8 and verse number 11. Because the sentence or judgment is against an evil work is not executed speedily. Therefore, the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. People look around and think, well, lightning hasn't struck yet. I've gotten away with it so far. God must be okay with it. God must not see it. That is not the case. If you choose to ruin the temple of God, he will ruin you. Can I put it in a way that we've all heard before? You will reap what you sow. You will reap what you sow. It is the law of divine reciprocity. Galatians 6, beginning in verse number 7, says this, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. Same root word. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. You will reap what you sow. You cannot go against God and succeed. Because you belong to Him. And He lives in you. Church, if we're going to build to code, we're going to have to take a look at where there may or may not be some rot in our lives and deal with it. Amen? Because if you choose to build with sinful wickedness, it will rot and ruin you. Sinful wickedness will rot. Building to code this morning. You cannot go against God and get away with it. But I want you to see what else he says. Look at verse number 18. He says, let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he taketh or he catcheth the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise that they are vain. Let me ask you, how you building your life this morning? What you building with? We're warned here that we will give an account. We're warned here that sinful wickedness will rot. But Paul goes on to say not only will sinful wickedness rot, but... Societal wisdom, that will rust. Societal wisdom, the wisdom of the world, will rust. You know, there's a seriousness here as well. When it comes to building to code, not only can you not go against God and get away with it. Here's what Paul's saying here. You can't go around God and get away with it either. You might be book book smart, you might be street smart, you might be business savvy or any other kind of smart you can think of, but be assured that neither you nor anyone else on this planet will outsmart God, period. It's not going to happen. There's a seriousness here. You cannot go around God and get away with it. You see, the significance here is that we are easily deceived. And I love how it says, let no man deceive himself. 
our greatest enemy here is not the devil and is not somebody else. You know, the greatest enemy here is our own pride and our own way of thinking. We easily deceive ourselves. Why is that? You know why? Here's what I've discovered about my human condition as well as everybody else's human condition as well. We are prone to assume that our way, what we think or what we want, is the right way or the best way. We're just prone to think that. That the way I think is probably the best way to do it. We assume that if it works, it's because it's blessed. Well, you know, God allowed me to make a lot of money, or God's allowing this to stay together, or God's allowing, and if it works, then then that means that God has chosen to bless it. I'm going to tell you, that's not always the case. We live as though God cares more for our feelings than he does for our faith. And what I find a lot of Christians doing is we are busy making this life work for us. Never seriously considering that what might work for us may not work for him. You know, you look around society today, society is filled with experts, is it not? Many of whom claim that they can improve on God's outdated design specifications. Well, you don't need to parent according to this book. I mean, that's... Parents, you just need to accept your kids and promote your kids. And whatever your kids want, you need to make all their dreams come true. No, you need to train your kids. It's a funny thing. Parents are still supposed to parent. Experts who can improve on God's outdated design specifications on parenting or marriage or church or church attendance or church involvement or, 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 or how we're supposed to engage and enact with the culture. But here's what the Bible says. The wisest schemes of man are vain. They're empty to God. Amen. They're empty. Amen. They're empty. You will not go around God and get away with it. Here's what I think we need to recognize today. We need to recognize the difference between building the good life and building a godly life. You know, you can build a good life and be a moral person. You can build a good life and and accumulate great blessing and wealth. You can, you can build a good life and people think you've got it all together. You can build a good life and people think that, 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 that you are a, a dedicated Christian. You can build a, a good life and have the respect of others. But hear me, just building a good life is not what the Bible teaches us to do. Because you can build a good life in the flesh, but if you build it in the flesh, it might look shiny today, but it will rust and ruin you. Because there is a big difference between building a good life and building a godly life. There's a big difference between having a, building a good marriage and a godly marriage. Having good kids and godly kids. Being, being a good manager of my financial resources and being a godly manager of my financial resources. There is a huge difference between good and godly. 
And you know, a lot of Christians, we recognize, oh, sinful wickedness will rot. And we don't want to openly be out in sinful wickedness. But I'm going to tell you, a lot of the church is making life work for them without ever considering of how it works for them, whether or not it works for God. There's a lot of Christians living the good life, their good life, their best life, never considering whether or not they're actually building a godly life. Because building the good life and building a godly life, they come with a completely different set of codes that you got to build by. I'm going to tell you, the good life may look shiny today, but it always rusts out eventually. That's why Jesus admonished us in Matthew 6, beginning in verse 19, to lay not up for ourselves treasures on earth. Why? Because moth and rust doth corrupt and thieves break through and steal. But to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. Amen? There's a significance here that we must consider, a seriousness, a significance, but also a simplicity. You are not going to outsmart God. I love what the verse says. Uh, For the wisdom of the world is foolishness with God. It is written, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness. In other words, he, he knows the game they're playing and he catches them every time. Here's the thing, you might fool me, you might fool the IRS, you might fool the policeman, you might fool the judge, you might fool the dog catcher, you might fool whoever, you might fool your spouse, you might fool your kids, you might fool your neighbor, but you will not fool God. And if you build with fool's gold because you want a good life, it will not last, it will not remain. You are not going to smart, outsmart God. He catches everyone every time. You are not going to do your own thing and try to convince God that you were really doing it for him. He sees right through it. And so what do we have to do? We have to choose. We have to choose whose wisdom we're going to follow. Are we going to choose to follow the conventional wisdom of society and the conventional wisdom of the world? Or are we going to choose to follow the wisdom of God? Proverbs 14 and verse number 12 says this. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Shiny today, ruin tomorrow. Proverbs 3 verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Boy, it's like pick your path, people. Are we going to build with the wisdom of the world? The wisdom of the world says you can make it work doing this or this or this or this or this. The wisdom of the world says you do you. The wisdom of the cross says take up your cross and follow me. Daily. Take up your cross and follow me. But God, it's going to cost me something. Take up your cross and follow me. But God, others might not understand. Take up your cross and follow me. But God, I'm going to have to let go, and I don't know what you're going to do with it. Take up your cross and follow me. Sinful wickedness will rot. Societal wisdom will rust. You know, God's expectations, God's wisdom is clearly given to us in this book. Amen. You know, you talk about codes, IRS code, that is some of the worst stuff. Oh, it's awful. Have any of you ever called the IRS? It's awful. It's awful. I've had to, as, uh, as I have tried to understand, uh, like, health care code and uh, 
tax code and employer code and all that crazy stuff. I've had several occasions where I've called the IRS on different things. And on the rare occasion I get a human being on the other line, this is typically how the conversation goes. Well, hello, uh, ma'am. You know, my name is Richard Holmes. I'm calling about a notice in IRS code, you know, 31,732,000, section 3CDEIJK. I noticed on the website that it says... Now, here's my dilemma, ma'am. As far as I look at that, well, that could either mean A or B or C. And I just need to know, what, which one is it? And this is how it always goes. They say, well, thank you, sir, for calling. You're right. Uh, IRS code 31,736,000 AJCKY27 does say da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. I said, yes, ma'am, I know. I know that's what it says. I need to know what it means. Because it says, da 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 do I need to A, B, or C? What do I do? Well, sir, you're right. IRS code does say, da 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 I know, ma'am. I'm looking at the same website you are. I just need to know what it means. Well, I'm happy to help you with that, sir. It simply means, da 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 Every time. Every time. They don't know what it means. I'm convinced that it's all set up so that they can arrest us all at any moment. There's nothing we can do about it. IRS code is tough. I mean, you can look all you want. I've spent hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and left more confused than when I started. Sometimes I say, is it A, B, or C? And by the time I finish my research, I've added D, E, F, and G. What is it? IRS code is tough. If you've ever built, building code can be tough. You've got the fine print notes in there. Got a cross-reference here, there, everywhere. What do we do? Where do we go? How do we do it? I'm going to tell you, human code can be tough, but God's code is pretty clear. There's, there's no fine print notes here. And here's the thing. If you want an explanation and open this book, you can find one. You can find one. And so we have to choose. We have to choose. We have to choose. What are we going to build with? The wisdom of the world? Or are we going to build with the wisdom of God? Because they are a completely different set of codes. And so what do we have to do? We have to humble ourselves. Boy, that's a tough one, isn't it? We have to humble ourselves, humble ourselves, humble ourselves. If any man think himself wise, what does it say? If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. We have to humble ourselves before God. And yes, you will be a fool in the eyes of this world. I still remember the lady that came to the garage sale a couple of years ago, and she was asking something about where, uh, where we came up where the kids went to school, and I believe her response was, oh, well, well my kids go to real school. <laughs> yeah. You know what? You will be a fool in the eyes of the world if you bring up your kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And you give them boundaries and guidelines and seek to rear them and train them in what is right and what is righteous. 
You will be a fool in the eyes of the world if you, if you give generously and don't store up for yourselves all that you can and, and you tithe and give offerings and, and give to the work of God. They're going to look at you and be like, do you know what you could do if you didn't give all that money away? They're going to think you're a fool. You know what? You will be a fool if you don't go all the places in their eyes, you will be a fool if you don't go all the places they go and eat and drink everything they do and, and watch everything that they do because you've decided I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. You will be a fool in their eyes. Yes, you will be a fool in their eyes. But when we humble ourselves, we can become wise builders. Christian, you cannot live for here and for heaven. Can't do it. Can't do it. It requires a completely different set of building codes. <laughs> and Paul warns us that if you choose to build with societal wisdom, it may look good for a while, but it will always rust out and ruin you in the end. So what do we see about building to code this morning? Paul tells us, first of all, to recognize that what is a church? Number one, he tells us to recognize what? That sinful wickedness will rot. You cannot go against God and get away with it. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. You will reap what you sow. He, he warns us, number two, what? That societal wisdom will rust. Not only will you not go against God and get away with it, you won't go around God and get away with it. You're not going to scheme your way into doing your thing and getting God's blessing. It doesn't work like that. But I want you to see how Paul ends it here. And boy, I love this. I want you to take heart with what we're about to see. Be encouraged by what we're about to see. Beginning in verse 21. Paul said, therefore, because of that, because sinful wickedness will rot, because societal wisdom will rust, therefore let no man glory in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. I want you to see finally this morning, spiritual work will remain. Sinful wickedness will rot, societal wisdom will rust, but spiritual work will remain. We go back to where we started this morning, the simplicity of this. God genuinely wants to reward us. He genuinely does. God wants to look at us and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. God wants to look at us and he wants to give us victory crowns and, and recognition of the life that we have lived for him. You know, I think about our sports banquet coming up for the Christian school and I mentioned it last week. And, and even on the phone this week, some of the coaching staff and I have been scheming about some awesome awards we want to give away. We're going to give away some stuff we've never done before. Just We want to have fun. We want to recognize the kids. We want it to be a wonderful special time. And you know, that's what God wants to do for us. He wants to reward us. He wants to recognize lives that we have lived for him. But this is what I think we have to realize. God not only genuinely wants to reward us, God has also graciously provided all that we need to spiritually succeed. God has graciously provided all that we need to spiritually succeed. All things 
are yours. Church, let's never get over the fact that we are co-laborers with God. Remember back verse number 9 of this chapter, it reminds us this, for we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. I'm going to tell you, laboring with somebody is different than laboring for somebody. And yes, we work for God, but we have the privilege of working with God too. We work with God. God is not far off. God is not sitting back waiting for his opportunity to pass judgment upon what we have done. No, God is in the trenches with us. He is working with us. All things are ours. You recognize God is working with us. And you know what? He brought his supply. I'm not worried about whether or not my tools and my supply is enough to get the job done because he brought his. He brought his. We had to tear out some carpet this week in the church. Oh, that's awful stuff. If any of you have ever done it, it's got like that quarter-inch rubber glue back to it. And so trying to do it by hand, oh, it was brutal. For like the five minutes that I helped, um, it was brutal. Some of those guys were there like five and a half hours. It was brutal. And we got the little machine, right? All of our little tools, they weren't doing nothing. But when we got the machine, got right under it, made a big difference. You know, it helps when you have the right supply, doesn't it? We are co-laborers with God, and he brought his supply. Philippians 4 and verse 19 reminds us this, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. God is laboring, present laboring with us, and he brought his supply. You know what he promises? He will meet your need. You know what sometimes we find in life? We don't know what to do. How many of us have ever run into that? I'm not sure what to do. I'm not sure what to do. Maybe it's a relationship thing and a marriage or parenting. I don't know what to do. It's like every day of my life. I don't know what to do. Maybe it's a financial or a job situation. Maybe it's a health situation. Maybe it's a, I don't know what to do. That's okay. You know why? Because you work with God and he brought his supply. James chapter 1 and verse number 5. You know what it says? If any man lack wisdom, let him Ask of God who sits back and wonders out loud why you just don't get it yet. Is that what the Bible says? I'm making up a lot of my own Bible today, aren't I? I need to stop doing that. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, generously, and upbraideth not. God's not worried about the fact that you don't get it yet. God's just happy to help you get there. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God to give it to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Here's the thing. You work with God, and he brought his supply. He's going to supply all your needs. He's going to give you the wisdom. We, we see in many passages, he gives us the gifts of the Spirit as Christians and in the body for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. You know what you say sometimes? Lord, I just, I, 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 I need your help. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to grow. I don't know where to go. Oh, I love what God's given us. 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 16. The Bible says, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. That teaches us what is right. For reproof, that teaches us what is wrong. For correction, that teaches us how to get.
get right for instruction in righteousness. That teaches us how to stay right. Why? That the man or woman of God may be perfect, mature, complete, truly furnished unto all good works. God, I, I, I don't know how to grow myself. I don't know. God said, that's all right. You work with me and I brought my supply. Romans chapter 8, verse 16. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. That right there. That right there. You know, the thing about children is when it comes to their father, their father feels that responsibility. And the children have access to that resource. Amen? My children can come to my office after church today and do things that you could not. Because they are my children. They have access. Unlike any other. All right, I got to go on. Like, I'm getting bogged down here. (laughs) The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Look at this. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God. Joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him that we may also be glorified together. You hear me? We are children of God, joint heirs with Christ. We don't just work for him. We work with him. And he has brought his supply. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 16. The Bible says, Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We don't just work for him. We work with him. And he has brought his supply. Here's the thing. God has given you a building project. God has something he wants you to do. God has given you uh, maybe a family, maybe kids, a community, a ministry, gifts. God has something for you to build for him. And boy, I feel so inadequate myself. But I am inadequate. We all are. Except I pause and remember I don't just work for him. I work with him. And he brought his tools to the job site. Can I give you something else? I told you I'm getting bogged down. We are co-laborers with God. What does that mean? We don't just work for him. We work, we, we work what, church? We work with him. So he brought his supply. But I want you to hear this too. His supply comes with his strength. Do you see the strength? Do you see the stability? Do you see the security here? He says, all things are yours. Whether it's Paul, Apollos, Cephas, the world, life, death, things present, things to come. All are yours. And that's, that's wonderful if it stopped right there, but it gets even better. And ye are Christ's. And Christ is God's. There is a strength and a security there. It's not just that these tools are in my hands and i got to figure them out. No, I'm in his hand. I don't just work for him, I work with him. He brought his supply to the job site, and his supply comes with his strength. Jesus said in John 16 and verse number 33, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Here's the thing. You want to build for God, and life's going to want to tear down what you've built. Life is hard. Life is hard. Life is hard. Life is hard. But here's the thing. Long before it ever tried to overcome you, he overcame it. And that which is done for Christ will remain. Be of good cheer, he says, I have overcome the world. 
2 Corinthians 12, verse number 9, says this, and he said unto me, this is Paul, his testimony about the thorn in his flesh. He begged God to take it away. But God said unto him, my grace is sufficient for thee. He brings his supply. He brings his strength. 1 John 4 and verse number 4 says this. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. How many of us don't always feel like overcomers? You know, it's good for us to pause and remember that it's not just us, that we are Christ, and Christ is God's. And there is a strength and a security in that that this world cannot shake. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. We are co-laborers with God. He brought his supply. His supply comes with his strength. Let me ask you, what more could we ask for? What more could we ask for? God has set us up for success. If it were a basketball game, God has not only... God has not only practiced with us, he's not only given us the playbook, but he's out on the court with us. And he's the seven foot four center on the elementary team. (laughs) Do what he says, give him the ball, and watch him work. Let me ask you, yes, life is hard. Yes, things want to appear complicated. Yes, some decisions are difficult. Yes, there is a a sacrifice required to follow Christ. But let me ask you, from a standpoint of set up for success, what more could we ask for? He works with us. He brought his supply. His supply comes with his strength. I think it's safe to say like Peter did in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 3 that he has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. You and I have all we need to build to code, to live for him. In church, that which is built with his supply, that which is built in his strength, will never rot, will never rust, will never be torn down, but will remain to the glory of God. He has supplied it all. What else could we need? I'm going to tell you, there's one thing else we could need. One other thing that we need. And that is simply to surrender. To surrender. Say, yes, Lord. I know there's some things in my life that I need to get right. Yes, Lord. I know there's some things that I've been doing in my own strength. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. What else do we need? We need to say yes to God. We need to say yes to being faithful, as the lady sang about earlier. Even when it's hard, be faithful. We need to say yes to being honest and humble. And when things in our life aren't right, we need to get them right. Amen? Not a week from now, not a month. We need to get them right. We need to get them right. When God speaks to us, we need to say, yes, Lord. We need to say, yes, Lord, to be courageous. You know what? When we work with God, he's going to take us some places that we're uncomfortable with. 
Because I'm going to tell you, God's going to take us into some spaces and make, ask us to do some things we've never done or talk to people we're not used to being around. But I'm going to tell you, every corner of this globe needs to hear the good news that Jesus saves. And so somebody's got to say, yes, Lord. Somebody's got to say, yes, Lord, and go into the public schools and do a good news club. Somebody's got to say, yes, Lord, and do RU Recovery. Somebody's got to say, yes, Lord, and go, go give out Johns and Romans. I've never done it before. Hey, but somebody has to. We need to say, yes, Lord. Teach that class. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. It's so simple and so profound. So I ask us this morning, and here's here's the crux of the invitation. One day we're going to stand before God and he is going to evaluate whether or not we've built our life to code. Before we get to his evaluation, you and I have the opportunity to evaluate and make the necessary adjustments today. Before we get to the throne of judgment, we have the opportunity today to get to a throne of grace. To get to a throne of mercy. Uh, before, before he makes his pronouncement on that day, we have the opportunity to make a change today. And so I ask us to ask the Holy Spirit to help us evaluate what we are building and how we are building. I ask us this morning, are you even building upon the rock? Hear me. Uh, heaven is not the default option. Hell is the default. We are born sinners. We are born separated from God. Hell is the default. We don't don't go to heaven just because. No, rather we have to choose Christ. We have to choose Christ. You can put it this way. He has done it all. Jesus paid it all. You couldn't come to him. He came to you. You deserve death. He died that you might receive his life. And he made it so easy and so simple that even a child could understand that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Talked with a young man this morning in my office before church in February after church. He, on the way home, prayed and put his faith in the Lord Jesus. Hey, next month he's getting baptized. Amen? Jesus has done it all. You know what's left? Just say, yes, Lord. To receive him and what he's done. What code are you building your life to? This morning, could we make the decision to get rid of the rot, get rid of the rust, and just make the decision to get neck deep building in that which will remain? Let's make sure we're building to code.